You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Town Square Media Newsroom, we go live to a press conference where the University of Alabama president and Mayor Walt Maddox are going to announce plans on bars here in the city of Tuscaloosa. Introductions in a few moments, but I do want to just thank you all for your attendance and for all you're doing to support our community as well as the university. Well, as you all know that we have spent the better part of the last five months working days and nights preparing for our students to return. We have developed, deployed every resource at our disposal to provide comprehensive testing, contact tracing protocols, education and training programs, and we've redesigned and equipped our infrastructure to ensure that our classrooms, our dining facilities, our residence halls, and other places on campus are as safe as they can be for our students, for our faculty, and for our staff. I want to express my appreciation to Chancellor Beth St. John and the UA System Health and Safety Task Force for their tremendous support and leadership throughout this process. I'm also grateful to our faculty, our staff, our student leadership, our situational response team, the COVID support team, and many others who have been working tirelessly over the past few weeks to support our campus and to support our students. And finally, I want to say thank you to our students, to our parents, to their families who have entrusted us to provide a safe environment for them to continue to learn and to grow. By returning to the capstone this fall, they have demonstrated the incredible value that they place on the Alabama experience, and I want them to know how much we appreciate them, how hard we are working to keep the Alabama experience that they cherish intact. As I stated in a letter to our community yesterday, although our initial reentry test was encouraging, the rise in COVID cases that we've seen in recent days is unacceptable, and if unchecked, threatens our ability to complete the semester on campus. Now is the time for action. And in addition to the stringent measures already taken on campus, We've asked for additional support from Mayor Maddox, the Tuscaloosa Police Department, local business community, and many others. We are grateful to the mayor and his team for their partnership and willingness to explore all options that will help us navigate this pandemic and complete a successful fall. Before we hear from Mayor Maddox, I'd like to ask Dr. Ricky Friend to share a few words. Dr. Friend is Dean of the College of Community Health Sciences is a member of our situational response team. He has spearheaded our testing efforts on campus 
and has worked closely with UA Health and Safety Task Force with city officials, both for our return efforts, but also in emerging testing issues. Dr. Friend. Thank you, Dr. Bell. I can hear me fine, I'm sure it sounds like. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. <clears throat> I'm Dr. Ricky Friend, Dean of the College of Community Health Sciences, and as many of you may know, CCHS has led the campus-wide testing efforts since early in the pandemic. Our ability to keep campus safe and, and informed has hinged upon having accurate, reliable, and rapid testing. We were asked uh, uh, in the middle of last week by Dr. Michael Sag, chair of the UA system uh, health and safety team, who's an infectious disease expert at UAB, to assist GuideSafe, the group that's doing this student reentry testing, uh, with testing to get that process completed. <clears throat> During that time, uh, we, we encountered many students who have been exposed since returning to campus, particularly in the Greek system. The trend continued throughout the week and now has reached levels that require a significant intervention. We know from global data that with these measures, we can successfully stay ahead of these trends and actually reduce them to safe levels. Teams both at CCHS and UAB have made recommendations to the Chancellor, UA System, President Bell, Mayor Maddox, and city leaders. In addition, uh, last, last, late last week, Dr. Pope, Vice President of, of Student Life, and his team in the Division of Student Life outlined additional measures by the university to temporarily prohibit on and off-campus student events. We have also instituted a very restrictive policy regarding on-campus housing. In addition, our CV-19 team has worked tires, tire, tirelessly through the week and all weekend to test, notify, and trace each and every positive individual. This week, we will be testing up to 1,000 students per day, four or five days in locations where geographic spread has been documented. These are the first steps to alter its course and continue with in-person classes. Without this intervention and the supportive measures of our partners in student life, and the city, our epidemiology and medical teams feel we will be at risk for even further consequences in the coming weeks. We continue to work closely with the UA system, Health and Safety Task Force, providing them with regular updates and are seeking their counsel on the appropriate next steps for our campus. Based on the emerging trends we are seeing, we have asked the mayor and his leadership team to consider additional measures that could help mitigate the spread of the virus in bars and restaurants. We understand the value of these businesses and the value they bring to our community. But we also know that eating and drinking in crowded social environments have been identified as a significant source of virus transmission. When the presence of the virus in our community is high, it is imperative that we limit activities that can lead to transmission as much as possible. We believe we have a limited opportunity to try to curb the trajectory of the student positivity that we are seeing and have validated. This will allow UA to continue its current in-person classes and avoid more economic pain and suffering for our community partners in the long term. 
We are together in this, and we are prepared to fight and devote whatever resources necessary to curb this trend. It is my sincere hope that we are successful, but will not succeed without stringent compliance and cooperation from every member of the community. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning, and at this time, I'd like to introduce our mayor, Walt Maddox. Good morning. I certainly am honored to have members of the Tuscaloosa City Council joining me today. We had our council president, Cynthia Allman, Councilor Lee Busby, Councilor Sonia McKinstry, and Councilor Odom. Thank you for being here and thank you for your leadership over the past six months. I certainly want to thank many of my team members that are here that have literally had no days off in the last six months. They have done an outstanding job of trying to protect this city, this community, this capstone that we love so much. You know, Tuscaloosa is all of our home and we're all in this together. Unfortunately, UA has been there together with the city. We've always had a special relationship, but over the past few months, we have strengthened the ties that bind because we have a shared responsibility to this community. Dr. Bell, we appreciate you. Dr. St. John, Chancellor St. John, we appreciate, appreciate you. Along with your respective teams, you have put the safety of students first, and I have seen that firsthand. As a mayor and a father of the University of Alabama student, I am deeply grateful. On behalf of the city of Tuscaloosa, thank you for your commitment. Through the uncertainty of 2020, we have met this healthcare, economic, and financial burden of the pandemic with an indestructible resiliency that provides hope. We have been inspired by the resiliency of dedicated physicians, nurses, medical personnel, and, who, and first responders who have been unwavering on the front lines of this pandemic. We have seen the better angels of our nature and the resiliency of small business owners who have borne the brunt of closing their doors so that DCH's doors could remain open. We have been thankful for the resiliencies of, uh, resiliency of educators who have reimagined their profession to ensure that learning continues for the next generation. In all corners of Tuscaloosa, the resiliency of our city has been on display, and now we're required to demonstrate even more. It will not be easy, yet it must be met. As has been outlined this morning and based on my discussions with the university over the past 48 hours, the ever-increasing number of coronavirus cases on campus will create two major disruptions for Tuscaloosa if left unabated. The first is to our health care system. From the start, the city has taken decisive action to protect DCH. This has been our North Star. The second disruption is to our local economy. UA has a $2 billion economic impact on our metro, and thousands upon thousands of our fellow citizens depend upon the jobs of that UA provides. I know this is not easy. I know that the coronavirus has taken so much, but we must finish the job. When faced with a difficult challenge, I often rely on a quote by Winston Churchill who said, the truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. The truth is, is that fall in Tuscaloosa is in serious jeopardy. When you marry the number of coronavirus cases, with the contact tracing data, plus the wise counsel of the best medical experts in the country, 
There is your truth. If we fail to act with the courage of our convictions, DCH will be at risk of being stretched beyond its capacity within the next four to six weeks. If we do nothing, UA will be forced to go to virtual classes, and the economic consequences will be harsh and long-lasting. These truths are hard, which require me to act within my oath. As mayor, my first responsibility is to protect the health, safety, and welfare of this community and every person that's living here, studying here, and working here. However, for me, it's even deeper. I make these decisions not only as a public servant, but as a husband, father, and son. Everyone that I love the most calls Tuscaloosa home. Therefore, based on the recommendations provided by the UA response team this weekend and at the request of the university, I've signed an executive order that authorizes the following. First, the closing of bars effective for the next 14 days starting at 5 p.m. tonight. This will run August 24th through September 8th. Second, the elimination of bar services at restaurants. We can have table service only, but no bar service for 14 days effective tonight at 5 p.m. In the fight against COVID-19, it's been our bars and restaurants who have taken the disproportionate impact. It is certainly not lost on anyone at the city of Tuscaloosa. Understanding this, in the near future, I will be working with the city council and looking at how we can make investments to our bars and restaurants to help them in this difficult time. This can include a myriad of different options, and I look forward to working with our city leaders in doing that. Lastly, I'll be requesting from the Alabama Beverage Control Board that all of Tuscaloosa County be placed under a prohibition of sales of alcohol on-premise consumption at bars for 14 days. As I close, we have to ask the question, will these measures combined with UA's efforts ensure success? The truth is we don't know. However, the failure to do nothing will cost more lives and livelihoods. We must demonstrate resiliency by acknowledging and acting upon these hard truths. When we make these decisions, the reflex is to focus on the what, but today I'd ask you to focus on the why. For the city, our why is embedded in three principles. First is protecting the people of Tuscaloosa and the students on campus here at the University of Alabama, Stillman College, and Shelton State. Second, it's about protecting DCH regional health care system. And third, it's about protecting our local economy and the thousands of jobs that are right now are at risk. You know, in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul talks about going from tribulation to strength of character to endurance to hope. I know to my fellow citizens there has been a lot of uncertainty and yes, tribulation. But please continue to have the endurance and the strength because through your indestructible resiliency, I too believe that the promises of tomorrow, the promises of hope, will soon return. As Ryan said, uh, Dr. Bell, Dr. Friend, and I will be happy to answer any questions that you may have. We ask that you direct your questions uh, to either one of us. Thank you. Live from the Town Square Media Newsroom, where University of Alabama leadership as well as leadership from the city of Tuscaloosa has announced that students will be tested up to a thousand students per day at the University of Alabama. And right now, classes will continue in person. Also, there is a concern for eating and drinking in private environments as it has contributed to the rise of COVID-19 cases. Now, the mayor celebrated resiliency in the city's health care providers.
But he says if we fail to act, DCH will be stretched beyond capacity and UA will have to move to online classes. Therefore, an executive order was issued closing bars for 14 days beginning at 5 p.m. today, as, as well as the elimination of bar services at restaurants, though table service will be permitted. He's also said that he will make a request to the ABC to restrict the sale of alcohol at bars. Live from the Town Square Media Newsroom, I'm Jade Nicole. About Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up in the heartland. Jackie gonna be a football star. Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car. Back with more of a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday from 11 a.m. until noon. And some breaking news from that aforementioned joint press conference between the University of Alabama with Dr. Stuart Bell uh, uh, on the on the side of UA and then also Walt Maddox, mayor, of course, of the city of Tuscaloosa, Walt Maddox, just announced that bars in Tuscaloosa will be closed for 14 days, effective tonight at 5 p.m. Whoa. Also, according to Hannah, excuse me, Hannah Saad uh, of the Crimson White here, I'm going off of her uh, thread there at the press conference. Bar service at restaurants stopped. For 14 days, effective tonight at 5 p.m. Table service can continue. And also, Walt Maddox has requested that ABC, the ABC put Tuscaloosa County under a prohibition of alcohol sales at bars for two weeks. What? This after Walt Maddox said early on in the press conference that the fall in Tuscaloosa is in serious trouble. Wow. How about that? Look. Here's the thing. None of this, I don't think, I think you could have hoped and wished upon a star that things would have gone better. But all the ingredients were always in place for this situation to be exactly what it is right now. So, I don't know if, if uh, you know, I, it, it's just, it, it, it shouldn't be at a point where we're, 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 we're at, this, at this point, I guess. I guess my, the thing is, you should have known well in advance that if you brought all these people back together and you tried to run it at full go, that your concerns for hospital capacities, and also, as much as anything, the stress that you're putting your first responders under in this type of situation. Think about how much first responders have on their plate in normal times in a town like Tuscaloosa, when you've got 40,000 students and then you've got a city on top of that, a growing city on top of that, that you're trying to service. And then you mix in 
protocols and mandates relative to a global pandemic, and it was, un, un, it was you couldn't you couldn't pull it off just from a people power perspective. So this must be where we're at in all of this. Amazing, and I think also. I'm not at the press conference. I haven't heard Walt talk about it, but it must also be the sense of Maddox and the city that whereas the hope was maybe establishments would really give a legitimate effort in sort of partnering and in protocols and things like that, it must also be at least in part that the city just doesn't get the sense that in some corners establishments really aren't even trying to help. You know, that must be at least part of it. 205-342-9904. Yes, I would say that uh, constitutes uh, major news here this morning in the Tuscaloosa area. We told you earlier, getting back to sports, uh, and this all impacts sports, too, by the way, because we know what the the golden goose is and all of this for the fall at the University of Alabama. Um, the AP poll has been released, as we sort of previewed earlier in the program. I'm going to look for that right now. Uh, again, the AP poll, all teams were thrown into the pot regardless of whether they were going to play this fall or not. So your AP poll that was just released, Clemson 1, Ohio State 2, Alabama 3, Georgia 4, Oklahoma 5, LSU 6, Penn State 7, Oregon 9, Notre Dame 10, Alvin checks in at number 11. Wisconsin 12, A&M at 13, Texas 14, Oklahoma State 15, Michigan is 16, USC 17, North Carolina 18, Minnesota 19th, rounding out the top 20 is Cincinnati at 20, you've got UCF at 21, Utah at 22, Iowa State 23, Iowa 24, Tennessee, the Vols, Jeremy Pruitt creeping in there at 25, which if you're Tennessee and you're 25 and you look at, let's just say, well, the Pac-12 and Big Ten schools ahead of you in this poll, well, there's Iowa not playing, Utah not playing, Minnesota not playing, USC not playing, Michigan's not playing, Wisconsin's not playing, Oregon's not playing, Penn State isn't playing, and Ohio State. I, I think that's nine. Nine of the teams in this top 25 dropped by the AP aren't playing football this fall. So that's basically what it was, what we said earlier. It's really going to be like a top 16. But again, you got Alabama at three, Georgia at four, LSU at six, Florida at eight. So you've got four of the top eight teams from the SEC, five of the top 11, six of the top 13. Um, and that's about where it starts to really drop off. Again, though, you do see Tennessee kind of creep in there, there at uh, number 25. So there's your AP poll, as promised from earlier in the show. 205-342-9904. We're talking 
winners and losers on a Monday. Coming up next, we'll speak to the professorial one in just a few moments. Chris Summer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. Um, how about Dustin Johnson on the PGA Tour yesterday? You want to talk about a winner? Dustin Johnson at the Northern Trust event on the PGA Tour shoots 30 under par for the weekend. <laughs> 30 under par, that included a 60 on, I think it was Friday. Is that Friday Dustin shot the 60? And it was it was the most disappointing 60 you'll ever see because he was 11 under through 11 holes in that round. So you're thinking he's got a 59 in his back pocket here. And he ends up essentially parring, I believe, his last seven holes. And he ends up shooting 60 right on the nose. But uh, didn't seem to hurt Justin too much. So he goes on to win by 11 shots. That's Tiger stuff, man. That's Tiger 2000. That's Tiger 2000 stuff is what that is. Shooting 30 under and winning by 11. Put it this way. Justin Thomas is the number one ranked golfer in the world. The 2012 Haskins Award winner during his time here at Alabama as college golf's top player at the time. He's now the number one player in the world. Justin Thomas was 23 shots behind Dustin Johnson. (laughs) And JT didn't play poorly, made the weekend, made the cut, you know, kind of stalled out on Saturday and Sunday with some even par rounds. But you take the gas by about six shots a round. And you're the number one ranked player in the world. That tells you how unconscious Dustin Johnson was over the weekend. There was some good news from up there, in addition to Justin Thomas making the cut at the TPC Boston. Robbie Shelton, another former Alabama All-American. Shelton went into that event because you're in the FedEx Cup playoffs now. Shelton went into the Northern Trust in the low 80s in the point standings, which meant he needed to make a jump over the weekend with his play into the top 70 if he were going to advance to this week's event, the BMW Championship there just outside Chicago. And really for about 10 or 11 holes yesterday, it looked like Robbie Shelton wasn't going to get there. He, He was playing some solid golf. Uh, but going into yesterday, he really needed uh, something something big. I'm getting a – I got a message from Gary Harris that DJ is now number one in the world. I knew he was number one in the FedEx Cups. I didn't, I didn't see – I knew he had overtaken Justin in the FedEx Cup. I haven't seen the world golf rankings today, so maybe that is the case. But Robbie Shelton needed something lower than low. And he plays the last six holes in six under par yesterday, including an eagle two in the middle of that run. He had uh, four birdies and an eagle in that stretch of the final six holes yesterday. And so he goes from in the low 80s in the point standings into the low 60s. And he will, in fact, advance to the next round of the FedEx Cup playoffs. So some good stuff there for Robbie Shelton. So this week... In Chicago, you'll have Justin Thomas, Michael Thompson, and now Robbie Shelton from the Alabama perspective. We're going to head to another break. When we come back, we'll check in with Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer 
For 247sports.com, when Southern Fried Sports returns on a Monday on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer. On your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Spelled without an H was getting bored on a PV amp in 1984. While Zach without a C tried out some new guitars, playing Sarah with no H's favorite song. Potentially Marco out there. So we figured we'd do couples for today's playlist thing. Little Zach and Sarah from our guy Ben Folds on this Monday morning. And with that, we head to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line at 205-342-9904. Check in with our good pal Chris Hummer, national college football writer, for 247sports.com. Breaking news here in Tuscaloosa, Chris Hummer. The city of Tuscaloosa has closed the bars in town for two weeks. How about that? Nah, just like sapping the bars from their business. That's impressive. Unbelievable. Um, I talked about it, though, in the last segment. What what did these college administrators and and college towns expect though when when we started bringing all these kids back or bringing freshmen in and you know just trying to essentially go business as usual in the midst of a pandemic did did we kind of expect anything different? I don't think so. It's it's crazy to me that these schools are. I mean, if you were if you were willing to take the risk to bring everybody back, it's kind of nuts that like you're essentially just giving up after week one, like North Carolina and Notre Dame did because they had to expect it. I think a lot of this, I'm going to be quite honest, is just schools wanting to cast their dorm checks um, and then just kind of bringing students back and hoping it works. And like once you cash that dorm check, there's really no harm in shutting it down. But yeah, I, I mean, it's just. It's very natural. Like no matter what's going to happen, if you're a campus full of forty thousand people, you're likely going to bring back one hundred or fifty people that are positive, and they're around each other all the time, which means you're going to have outbreaks. And it's it's very expected in a lot of ways. And I mean, I don't know how much it'll determine the football season at this point, but like I I'm not shocked at all that we're seeing this happen across the country. Yeah, it's like because of how you're staffed, there's no possible way first responders and everyone else involved are going to be able to stringently enforce, right, and regulate protocols and mandates on top of everything else that they already do when we're not in the midst of a situation like this. And so you're counting on thousands of people, tens of thousands of people to do the right thing. To, to help keep these numbers at bay and uh, good luck with that. 
I think we're we're kind of finding that out not only here in Tuscaloosa, but certainly other places as well. So let me ask that question about what we're seeing on this front and how it could potentially impact the football season. Um, it seems as if anyway, on the surface, outwardly, places like North Carolina, Notre Dame that have experienced some of this stuff, some of the marquee type athletic departments in collegiate sports, uh, they've maintained the course to this point, Chris. And, and so what have you taken from that and seeing how some of this is, has gone down here in the last week? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty funny how times have changed. I remember maybe like March or April at the beginning of this pandemic, you had athletic directors, conference commissioners, and presidents saying there's no way we're going to play football if there aren't students on campus. And here we are in August, and I, I'd be surprised if the football season doesn't at least get started. Um, we seem to be full steam ahead, even though a lot of these schools are switching to online-only models. And I think the lesson is football is very important. The players want to play. Um, campuses are certainly inclined to let them play because of the uh, TV revenue that's involved here. And at the end of the day, um, I think we've discussed this before, just if you can manage to sell it as being okay that there are no students on campus other than football players, and those football players are essentially in a bubble. Uh, they're mostly taking online classes anyway. Uh, very few of those players are just going from class to class like we'd normally see in a fall. Um, it's safer to play football uh, for the players, at least, with that environment like that. So in that sense, it's it's much better for the football season, I guess. Yeah, you know, I talked about this in the last week or so. The NCAA has been okay with remote learning for a long time now. Now, maybe not so much in terms of on campuses, you know, but as far as student athletes that have been admitted by universities that were uh, homeschooled kids uh, that were approved for competition by NCAA eligibility, uh, you know, from a standpoint of that. Um, where, where are you at on this? If, if, if it is, do you have a problem with it if they play football or sports in general, if it's a remote learning environment? I mean, not, not really. I think it's a little, I think the leadership is a little hypocritical with their stances on this over the last four months. I don't, I don't personally mind. Joe Burrow won a Heisman Trophy last year. And there were stories about him not setting foot on campus except for practice for the entire semester. Um, so in that sense, no. Uh, as you said, online learning and virtual learning has been the reality in college athletics for a very long time. Um, it makes scheduling easier for all of these athletes. And to be quite frank, it makes like the tutoring schedule easier for a lot of these athletes and their kind of academic lives. Like Online classes tend to be I don't need to get into that rabbit hole, but online classes tend to be a little more approachable in a lot of cases um, and a little less intensive. So we're kind of there already. And I'm of the opinion, as long as you're getting your degree, I don't really care how you get it. And if you're choosing to play football and you are choosing that path to kind of take with your college scholarship, more power to you. So in that sense, I, I have no problem with kind of colleges being all online this fall for student athletes. I think, if you're going to have any hesitations about the season, they're way more about safety and the actual reality of playing football than just students taking classes online and then still playing football this fall. Yeah, I mean, I can speak from experience in that a place like the University of Hawaii 
if we're talking the basketball teams there, if they go play a two game on a two game road trip on the mainland, let's say they play on a Thursday night and a Saturday, they leave Oahu on Tuesday. So they're gone those weeks from Tuesday to Sunday. They're gone. They're, they're barely on campus because they're traveling to play basketball. I mean, there's, there's, there's circumstances like this that we can go through over and over again. But, um, what about the three leagues, the three power fives that are left, Chris? And, you know, I, 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 I kind of get a laugh out of it because I think there's this perception that they're sort of united in their approach and, you know, they're kind of locked in arms and moving forward without the Big Ten and the Pac-12. But then when you really get into it and you look at the scheduling approach by each of these power fives that are left, even the starting dates for seasons, you know, when they're going to start play here in the next month or so, um, it doesn't really speak to that. It just speaks to three leagues that are still around trying to play, although I guess they are tethered in that if one or more decides to opt out, that's probably going to be the end of all this for the fall. Yeah, I, I agree. Tethered is a great word. Um, the leagues kind of really need each other right now from a public perception standpoint to kind of keep going and keep marching. Um, if the Big Hat 12 had dropped out two weeks ago when all of this was kind of exploding with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 kind of backing out, I think the ACC might have got a little skittish. And I I mean, the SEC is its own entity. Maybe it wanted to go forward on an island like that, but it would have been very difficult. So in that way, tethered is a great word. But I, I do agree. Like, even if you look at testing protocols, like testing protocols from league to league are very different. The ACC's minimum standard is one test per week, whereas the Big 12 and the SEC will be testing three times a week. Um, there are rumors out there that Conference USA is going to require testing three times a week, and a league like the Sun Belt would, I think, is going to barely be able to afford uh, one test a week in a lot of cases. So, from that standpoint and everything else, they're just—it's these are just like three leagues very desperate to make this season happen because of financial kind of ramifications here. And they're going to do whatever is needed to kind of get that done, even if the products don't look necessarily the same in terms of like how we got there. Um, so there, if there's like, there's no central leadership here. These remaining commissioners still talk every day. They are tethered, as you said, but like to pretend like the SEC and the ACC are following the same rules heading into the season would be would be incorrect, and it's just it kind of speaks to kind of the craziness of college football right now. Yeah, I can almost get that, okay, we're going to do a 10-plus one. We're going to do a 9-plus one in terms of scheduling. We're going to do conference only. But why couldn't they at least get together on a starting weekend for these three leagues? Especially, the, I'm talking just more so about the, the three power fives left. I mean, why not just everyone start? on that same weekend, the 26th, I, I don't, I don't get, especially with what we just saw from the, the big 10 and the PAC 12 bailing because they had sort of inhibited themselves with that September 3rd start weekend of labor day start. 
And then you still see one of the Power Fives is going to try to play September 12th. Another's going to play the 19th, the SEC, the 26th. I mean, couldn't they have at least, Chris, gotten together on what weekend we all are going to start on? That's that's an interesting point. And I just think all of the leagues had kind of varied ideas about what the best plan moving forward is to kind of present the schedule and give them the best opportunity to finish the season. Um, the SEC wanted to go later. Um, they wanted more time to kind of see how the student population would adjust uh, to the athletic play, like the athletes on campus. They also, I'm pretty sure, and I've heard this once or twice, wanted a little cover from the NFL to see how it would go for that professional league before kind of the amateur athletes move forward. The ACC um, tried to add that extra non-conference game, which is why they're heading earlier with the hopes that SEC would kind of play ball. The SEC did not. So the ACC is essentially giving all of their teams a warm-up in early September uh, before the season gets started. And they're playing 11 games, which feels very odd because the other two teams are playing 10. And the Big 12 was much the same. They're starting their kind of conference season around the same time as the SEC but they're essentially giving everybody a glorified scrimmage in the middle of yeah. September so they can get more TV money uh, out of those games. So it's just, it is a mess. Yeah. If you are, in fact, tethered together, I mean, I would think you'd all want to start at the same time. That way, if you get to the point where it doesn't look as if it's doable, you're all making the same call at the same time. If you're the SEC and let's say the – the ACC says, well, we're just we're not going to be able to get it done by the 12th. Well, that's still two weeks before you're going to even start playing. So you've got to kind of go out with the ACC on a different timeline. It just, you know, for, for three leagues that are supposedly, again, sort of tied into this thing together, uh, not having the same starting date, that's, that's kind of a head scratcher for me. We're talking with Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. Uh, Chris, we got the what looks like the AP uh, top 16 poll out today because uh, <laughs> there are those uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 teams that are included in this drop. But uh, I think once you call the, the teams from the conferences that aren't going to play this fall, you get down to about 15 or 16 teams. What's what's kind of your thought on uh, sort of pouring one out, I guess, for the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 where including those teams in this poll is concerned and – uh, is it is it is it a is it a tip of the cap more to a lot of these players that unfortunately aren't going to have the opportunity at least in the fall to to play some recognition from that perspective? Yeah, I think it's that. I also the AP poll. I mean, despite the fact that it doesn't factor into the college football playoff anymore, is still kind of our poll of record. And I think a lot of people are making fun of the AP doing it this way, and me included. It does seem kind of silly. I think there is something to history kind of being able to see a complete kind of preseason ACC poll ahead of a year. That's going to be very, very interesting. Like there's a pretty good chance that I don't want to be too gloom and gloom here, but I mean, there's a possibility we start the season and don't finish it or we don't even get to start it. I think that's looking less likely by the day I would expect it to start, but like to have all of these teams kind of in a row, even if their conferences aren't playing till the spring or won't play at all, I think is an interesting look, especially in like 25 years when we're like, what the heck happened 2020? I, I will find it compelling that Ohio State was number two, despite the fact that they didn't play a game during the 2020 calendar year, where Penn State checked in at number six, and you're like kind of wondering what happened. 
So from that perspective, I can kind of understand the ACC or the AP wanting to push forward in that way, but it, it does feel a little bit silly kind of with all of this going on. And we're seeing different capacities for college football, right, around the country. I know, as I talked about earlier, Duke said earlier today, no fans at, at home games this year in Durham. I think Cincinnati announced something similar to that today. Uh, places like here, you're you're hearing 25%-ish. Uh, Texas has kind of been up and down with some of that. Where, where are we at sort of across the board? And again, going back to lack of a, a uniform approach and, and understanding more so in this area because you're talking about state guidelines, local guidelines, CDC guidelines that come into effect. Uh, uh, what, what kind of stands out to you about that uh, considering uh, fan attendance for the upcoming season? Yeah, I, that one, I think that one is more tied to state regulations than anything else. Like some some schools might want fans in the stadium but just might not have a choice. Like if your governor or your kind of local municipality says no, like you're just kind of SOL on that one. So I think that's why you're seeing such variation. But I wouldn't I would not expect any school to be above 25% this fall. I think 25% is probably even pushing in a lot of cases even though like in Texas, for example, um, Greg Abbott, the governor, is allowing 25%. I think it's going to be – that's mass capacity. What I find really interesting is some places are still allowing tailgating this fall, which seems which seems crazy, but, like, at least that, like, little ritual of college football will be alive and well. I'm not sure how safe it is, but it will happen. Um, and I'm just – I'm really interested to see what it's going to look like when we turn on ESPN at 11 a.m. on September 26th and we look up into the stands and we just see like scattered dots across the field, it'll be like watching Kansas on TV every week, except we'll be watching Alabama LSU or what have it. So it'll be, it'll be a really compelling TV environment uh, this fall. And I'll, I'll be really curious to see how the first couple games go with fans period. Because I think I saw a high school, I saw a video, I think went pretty viral the other day online where a high school athletic director was like on a megaphone during the middle of the game, yelling at fans to kind of separate kind of the groups they had gathered in and put on masks. And I think it's only going to take one or two really bad experiences in college football for fans to kind of be out of there anyway. So fan behavior will be a really interesting element of this season as well. Well, Chris, as always, we appreciate the time, my friend, always great work from Chris Hummer there at 24 seven sports.com. If you haven't already give Chris a follow on Twitter at Chris, underscore Hummer, H-U-M-M-E-R. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks so much. There he goes, Chris Hummer. Outstanding job. Remains adamant, Chris does, if you listen there. Chris, very much a believer in a college football season that at least gets underway. I think you could detect there that in terms of completing the season, Chris may be not as optimistic. We're going to head to a break as we do so. I want to remind you, today's show brought to you in part by Houston Hydrasteen, home of the Houston Rug Revival. Your carpets, your rugs, your upholstery, your tile and grout, all of that is going to be cleaned thoroughly, dependably, by Houston Hydrasteen. 205-553-9460. Give Jackie and his staff a call. We recently had what they refer to there as the Flooring Revival from Houston Rug uh, Houston Hydrasteam, and it was outstanding. Entire house serviced, tile grout, 
carpets, rugs, uh, chairs, furniture, you name it, wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling, outstanding work from Houston Hydrosteam. Houston Hydrosteam, quality work you can stand on. Back with more of Southern Fried Sports on a Monday right after this. We'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers and thunderstorms across West Alabama this afternoon and tonight. The sky mostly cloudy. The high today, 83. Tonight's low, 70. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy. A good chance of showers and thunderstorms by afternoon. The high at 86. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show brought to you in part by Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. We told you how to get your upholstery, your floors, your tile clean before we headed to the last break. Now we're going to tell you how to take care of everything else. That's with Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. Yashika Barnes. 20 years of quality cleaning service, service that our family can certainly attest to. Yashika, the CEO and driving force there of Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. Give her a call, 205-886-3616. She's going to have you spick and span and her crew. They do an outstanding job. Again, I talk about dependability a lot with these services that we talk about here on the program, and I can't stress that enough. The quality of that with Chase's residential and commercial cleaning. Got a little Bruce Springsteen going for you this morning on the program. How about that? Need to lighten the mood a little bit on the heels of the announcement just moments ago by Tuscaloosa Mayor Walt Maddox that area bars, city bars, will be closed for the next 14 days. Now, Restaurants with table services, you're still going to be able to access that. But as far as bar service within restaurants is concerned, that's going to go away for 14 days as well. Uh, Stuart Bell, president of the University of Alabama, in conjunction with Walt Maddox this morning at a press conference, outlining some things that need to happen if the fall semester, in terms of the traditional experience, of the fall semester at the University of Alabama, or at least anything even resembling what it typically involves uh, is at stake here, according to Dr. Stuart Bell 
M.A. or Walt Maddox. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Big news. Big news on the local front. First thing today. It has been a winners and losers Monday. I'm going to give you a winner from TCU. Quarterback, starting quarterback Max Duggan, who we've talked about the cardiovascular aspect of the COVID-19 virus and the after effects that it can have. Well, Max Duggan found out uh, due to COVID-19 testing that he's had a heart condition that he's been living with since birth. And as a result of that testing, uh, he's already had the necessary procedure to help correct that issue. He's well on the road to recovery. So in some ways it could be said that with COVID-19 testing and even the testing that is in place after the fact where cardiovascular issues could be concerned, uh, it's good news in the big picture uh, of everything considering you know the, the, the possibilities otherwise in a situation like that. Hey, that's going to do it for a Monday edition of Southern fried sports thanks as always to joe gaither for producing the show thanks to chris hummer for joining us on the program as well the lunch whistle today is southern alehouse 1530 mcfarland boulevard north in the indian hill section of tuscaloosa alabama southern alehouse still rocking and rolling get by there get you some lunch today get you that yard bird chicken sandwich maybe one of those plate specials if they've got the bacon ranch tots as the side special today you want to try that at Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard, North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Until 11 a.m. on Tuesday, have a great rest of your Monday, everybody.